0: Today as we are continuing on, uh, we're going to be continuing on in Colossians chapter 1 uh, from where we were at about a month and a half ago. And at that time we were in the first part of the chapter and we looked at that epic calling that we have uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, living lives fully pleasing to him and which is made possible by only by the epic redemption that we have in Christ. And this next portion in the, the text kind of builds off of that Wonderful message of redemption in showcasing how our Savior is supreme. You know, Many people over the years or in stories have taken on titles that uh, confer supreme authority or power. In March of 1918, during World War I, the French Marshal Ferdinand Falk was appointed the supreme allied commander. This gave him the command or the control over all of the allied forces. And during World War II each theater of the war had a supreme allied commander. Famous General Dwight Eisenhower was first over the Mediterranean Theater as the allied commander, and then the European Theater. Uh, Douglas MacArthur was the supreme allied commander over the Southwest Pacific Theater. And if you're into the Star Wars lore, right, you have galactic leaders, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine and <laughs> Supreme Leader Snoke, right, leading the galaxy towards the dark side. Well, all of these supreme leaders had power, authority, and rule over the realms in which they held this supreme role. Ultimately, though, their titles, their power, and their authority was lost or transferred to someone else, or it was found to be limited in scope or temporary in its assignment. And in the text that we're covering today, we'll see the epic supremacy of Christ and this passage gives us 10 aspects to his supremacy, showing it to be complete, total, and to which no one can compare. So please turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And as you do, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we glorify you this morning. We worship and give you all praise and all honor, Lord. You are great, Lord. You are awesome. and We are so thankful to be gathered here together this morning. I thank you for your word that you've given to us, that speaks to our hearts, that lightens our path, that teaches us more about who you are, Lord. I pray that through your word this morning that you would edify our hearts, build up and encourage your people, Lord. I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit, ultimately, Lord, that leads us and teaches us. And points us to Jesus. God, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's read Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty. It says, in verse fifteen, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Supremacy is defined as the the state or the condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. We know that Jesus had authority, power, and status, right? But to what extent, though? And how does that compare with other authorities and other powers or other statuses that other people or uh, people, you know, other people might hold? Uh, many have asked this question or tried to answer it in various ways right If you ask a Muslim about the authority of jesus they 'll answer that it 's as a prophet, someone speaking on behalf of God but not God himself. If you ask a humanist about the power of jesus they 'll say he was just a man who fil- fulfilled his moral obligations, and service to society, but deny him any saving power. See, in order for Jesus to be supreme, a comparison is necessary. To be superior to others, to all others, you must compare that thing or that person to others and then find them to be superior. You take our cell phones, for example. Most of us are running either Android or iOS. And we know for a fact that Android is the supreme operating yeah. system, Right? <laughs> In every way. After comparison, it's better. That might be news to some of you. Maybe even heretical. I'll pray for you. Um, but to be supreme, you have to be found superior to any comparison that's made. If in any comparison you are not found to be superior, then you are not supreme. And the supremacy of Jesus was being called into question in Colossae, his authority was being called into question. There were teachings floating around that insinuated that power could be found elsewhere, like worshiping angels in Colossians 2.18. If angels were worthy of worship as well as Jesus, then he would no longer be supreme. His power was being called into question as well. At the end of Colossians chapter 2, we see the power of Jesus' death and resurrection being called into question that it wasn't enough. The believers also needed to do works. They needed to adhere to regulations, abstain from good things that God created in order to supplement the power of the gospel. And his status was being called into question. Jesus' status is that he is God. Uh, But there were comparisons being made to other spirits. There were analysis being provided through philosophical takes on him which is why Paul gives that resounding declaration of the deity of Jesus in Colossians 2, nine. for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The supremacy of Jesus is still being called into question today, over 2,000 years later, isn't it? Comparisons are being made to Jesus all the time. You know, Gandhi, who was considered one of the wisest men of the 20th century, compared Jesus, and even he got it wrong. Right? He said, I cannot ascribe exclusive divinity to Jesus. He's as divine as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or Zoaster. Man, did he get it wrong, right? And our world doesn't look favorably on exclusive claims. Most people will agree that Jesus was a good man, that he taught good principles. Um, they'll agree that you should love your neighbor. But when you declare that Jesus is Lord over all... The one to whom every knee will bow and is the only way to heaven, the only truth. That's offensive in our world, isn't it? And so Paul lays out here in this passage, we've read this epic Christological breakdown of the supremacy of Jesus. He gives us 10 exclusive reasons why Jesus alone is supreme. And in these regards, none can compare. Let's go through all 10 and I hope that we marvel as we consider each of these reasons showing why Jesus is supreme. Reason number 1, Jesus is supreme because he is the very image of God. It says he is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. It's one of his attributes. His total essence, all of his spiritual being will never be able to be seen by us. In John 1:18, it says no one has ever seen God. He is invisible, right? And in 1 Timothy six fifteen and 16 it describes him as He who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. We cannot see him. He's, he is spirit. He dwells in unapproachable light. We know he exists though because we see the visible evidence of creation which points to an invisible maker. But seeing the creation isn't the same as seeing the maker of it is it and yet paul says here that jesus is the very image of god that's an utterly profound statement wow we can learn you know what god is like through his creation of course you know beauty that reflects him wisdom in his designs we can wonder at the majesty of a maker who created majestic mountain scenery But in Jesus, we have the very image of God. We have the visible image of an invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. John 14, verses 8 and 9, talking to Philip, it says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the very image of God, the very likeness, the very visible representation of him. You know, 12 years ago, from 2,600 miles away, Lauda saw an image of me online. That's how we met. She couldn't see me, though. She had an image of me, a, a profile that represented my character, you know, my interests, maybe some of my personality. And when we say that Jesus is the image of God. It's not to say that he physically looks like him because God is invisible, but rather that he is the exact image of the Father's divine nature, his deity, his character, his will, and his power. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they share the same nature. They are one God. And Jesus is supreme because, as John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and men could finally see God incarnate. They saw Jesus, fully God, fully man, came to earth, visible to people, teaching, healing, serving them, and ultimately physically dying for them. No other God can compare to that. You know when Jesus and when John saw Jesus coming to him by the Sea of Galilee, uh, you know all he could say was, "Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, behold him, church, look upon the one who is the Lamb of God, the very Son of God, God incarnate, the sacrifice for our sins, look upon him I, you know I pray that we too never cease to wonder and be amazed as we look on Jesus as we read and study the word and we learn about jesus in scripture we're also learning about who god is because jesus is the very image of god you know when we see the love of jesus in the new testament his kindness his compassion his goodness these are also true of god because they share the same nature you want to know about the god of the universe the lord of what the lord of heaven and earth is like look at jesus you want to know how to please god Look at Jesus' example. You want to come to God and have a relationship with him. It's only through Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus is supreme because he is the very image of God. Let's marvel together as we consider the second reason here why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he has authority over all creation. It says here he is the firstborn of all creation. Now hold up, because we just said that Jesus is God, so how can he be the firstborn of all creation? Is that saying that Jesus was created before everything? Well, if you ask a Jehovah's Witness, they'll say yes, that's exactly what it means. If you go to jw.org, they have a section that's called, When Was Jesus Created? And it references Colossians 1.15 here, saying God created Jesus before creating Adam. In fact, God created Jesus and then used him to make everything else, including the angels. It's easy to get this passage wrong and come away with a flawed understanding, right? You see, in the analysis of the supremacy of Jesus, either he is God, and therefore he cannot have been created, or he was created, and therefore he isn't God. And those who don't want to acknowledge the supremacy of Jesus, the authority of Jesus as God, will twist this passage to those means. We know that Jesus is God. We serve a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, That's Jesus and God the Holy Spirit, all sharing that same divine nature, yet three distinct persons but one God. And so if Paul isn't saying that Jesus was created, then what is he saying here when he says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation? Well, that word firstborn is generally used in the Bible speaking of status, rank, power, or priority. It's not talking about birth order here. In Psalm 89, 27, it says of the coming Messiah, And I will make him, that's Christ, the firstborn, the highest of the kings on the earth. So the term firstborn is a declaration of the authority of Christ. In fact, six times in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the firstborn. And as the firstborn over all creation, Jesus ranks higher than all of creation. He is supreme over all creation. He has authority over over all creation. Paul is saying that Jesus is sovereign over all creation. He existed before anything that exists and he is greater than anything exists. After Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended when it was about to ascend into heaven, you remember what he said in Matthew 28:18, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." How much authority? All authority. And who can compare to him in terms of authority? There is no one else. Jesus is supreme because he has authority over everything that exists, over everything that was created. Do you recognize that authority over your life? Or how about over the world that we live in? All of us here fall into the category of being a part of everything that exists, everything that was created. Are we submitted to that authority? Maybe more poignant, are we submitted in every single area of our lives, our thoughts, our hearts, to that authority? It's sometimes easier to recognize his sovereignty over all, you know, over our lives as a whole, but we tend to think there's little areas of our lives that we can maintain control of, that we can try to be sovereign over, you know. Maybe we aren't submitting control of our finances to him. Maybe there's a, a sin that we hang on to, or a pattern of thoughts or actions or words that we haven't determined to throw at his feet in repentance and say, Jesus, you are Lord over all. Forgive me for failing to submit this area of my life to you. Remind me of your sovereignty so that I might trust it to you. Conform this area of my heart to be aligned with yours. Because ultimately, whether we submit now or on the day when my life and all of our lives are open books before him, uh, he is supreme. He has all authority, all power over every aspect of my life. Jesus truly is supreme because he has authority over all creation. Let's marvel together as we consider the third reason why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he is the maker of all creation. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. By him, that's Jesus, all things were created. Jesus doesn't just have authority over creation, he is also the maker of it. It says, by him all things were created. What's on the list of all things? All things. (laughs) What's not on the list of all things? Nothing. And just to be sure that we understand what all things are, Paul gives us a list here. He says, all things include all things in heaven, things on earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible. Things in heaven, that's angels in the heavenly dwelling of God, right? Things on earth, every plant, animal, person, mountain, grain of sand, right? Things that are visible, those are things that we can see in the visible realm, in the, phys- uh, the physical realm. This world, the planets, the visible universe which we inhabit. And things invisible too, things we cannot see, our souls, gravity, the spiritual realm, spiritual beings and all manner of them, as we see here, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Jesus created all these things, they are his. there is nothing that exists that wasn 't made by him, and he is sovereign. He is the Lord over them all John one three declares that all things were made through him, and without him, nothing or without him was not anything made that was made. so all things were made by him, all things were made through him. Nothing, nobody, know how exists apart from Him. Do you find comfort in this? We exist in a world where every single thing, every single being was created by Jesus, and He has complete and utter authority over each and every one of them. Does that just make you kind of sit in awe a little bit? You know, when you pause and consider that our Lord and Savior is so great, so powerful, that The whole universe, which we find to be massive and vast, is just one thing on a list of all things that was created through him. Jesus is supreme, church, because he is the maker of all things, all creation. None can compare to him in this. Let's marvel together as we consider the fourth reason why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he is the primary benefactor of creation, it says, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus created all things, and all things were created for him. He is the primary benefactor of his creation. Creation exists for his good pleasure, for his glory, to the praise and honor of him. Every nuance of this universe, every item and person on the list of all things, they exist for him. And because and they are his because he made each and every one of them. When we view our world, you know, our, our default is to put ourselves at the center, right? We think about how things impact us, but we've got to flip that script around because it's not about us. It's all about him. He created us for his good pleasure, not because he needed us, but because all creation is for him, created by him, and ultimately brings him glory. In Romans 11.36, it says, for from, him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And here we have all things again, right? All things are from him, through him, and to him. And to him be the glory forever. You know, if anything existed by the creation of any other, then Jesus wouldn't be the creator of all things. And then he wouldn't be supreme or sovereign, right? He wouldn't be a God. So, do a comparison. Buddha hasn't created any plants or animals. Muhammad didn't produce a universe. Ra, the sun god from Egypt, didn't create the sun. But Jesus did. All things were created through him and for him. Every star, every molecule, every person, every insect, all of the heavens and the earth and the spiritual realms created through him and for him. And Genesis tells us, right, that what he created was good. And I love in, in how in the Psalms we see all creation praising their maker. The mountains, the heavens, the animals praising their maker in joyful praise. They're doing what they were created to do, right? Having been created through him and for him. And it's okay to just stop and ponder and marvel at this. In our, our lives, the world around us, all things exist for him. He is our maker, our creator. And he's also the one who delights In his creation. Doesn't that just cause your hearts to draw into worship and amazement for Jesus here? Jesus is supreme because all things were created through him and for him. Let's go on to the the fifth reason why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he is eternally before all creation. It says here, and he is before all things. Jesus is eternal, he's always existed. At no point in the entire scope of eternity, past, present, or future, will Jesus not exist. This is an attribute of God. and certainly not a communicable one that we share. We were created. We have a beginning. There are massive amounts of eternity in which we did not exist. But the same cannot be said about Jesus. In John 1, 1 and 2, a very familiar passage, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The beginning is when all things, all creation was formed. When time itself, the universe, was made by God. And Jesus was there in the beginning. He existed before the beginning, and he always has. If he had a beginning, he wouldn't be eternal, right? He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be supreme because he would have required a greater being to exist before him to bring him into existence. And in John eight fifty eight, Jesus you know responds to the Jews with that epic statement for which they tried to stone him. He said, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." That was a declaration of by Jesus of being ter- eternal, wasn't it? Just like God the Father is eternal, the I am, the one who always was and will be. I don't know about you, but knowing that Jesus is eternal. Uh, it brings me great comfort. You know, comfort knowing that in every moment, Jesus is there. He's always been there. He always will be there, church. Each and every moment in time, He is there. And when we live in light of that, it brings an eternal perspective, doesn't it? A knowledge that in every moment from eternity past to eternity future, every moment of our lives, He is there. In this moment and the next moment and for all eternity to come. There is no one else that can compare in this. No other gods exist without beginning or end. You know, Prophets were born, false idols were carved, formed from created substances. But Jesus is supreme because only he is before all things. None can compare to him. Let's marvel as we consider the sixth reason why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he upholds all things. It says, And in him all things hold together. What things does Jesus hold together? Again, we have all things. He upholds all things. He sustains all things. He is the one keeping this universe held together. Think about that for a second. You know, here we are on this large rock spinning a thousand miles an hour in the middle of space orbiting a massive ball of fiery gas. And the only thing keeping us from flying into it is gravity. Who made gravity? Who keeps gravity into effect? Have you thanked Jesus for gravity yet today? <laughs> he didn't just create this world. He's continuing to sustain it even now. He is actively holding all things together. From the molecular bonds at a microscopic level to massive galaxies light years away, he is holding all things together. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is a tremendous thought. You know, we're, we covered the providence of God in our city groups briefly this spring. You know, that God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he keeps them existing and he maintains the properties with which he created them. This is his providential work of preservation, right? He keeps everything existing. He maintains their properties. He holds all things together. It should be evident by now. Jesus is supreme. There is none who can compare to him. There's certainly no one else who holds all things together. Let's marvel as we consider the seventh reason why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he is the head of the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, it says. Now, do you find it surprising that the supremacy of Jesus comes from the church? I mean, after all, every religion, every faith seems to have a a founder or a god or a prophet that they look to. And some might look at the church and point out the failures of leaders or failures into legalism and hypocrisy, failures to do good and to be a light to the world around us. And based on that, many just write the church off. And while some of those things may be true, there is another truth, a deep truth, that should destroy any complacency or doubt that we have of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the ruler of the church, the authority of the church he instituted the church Matthew 16:18 this marvelous phrase he has here it says and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it he is building his church protecting her leading her and he says the very gates of hell itself shall not prevail against it Jesus is the head of the church. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is the head of the body. It belongs to him, and he loves the church dearly. He gave himself up for the church in his death on the cross, the greatest sacrifice and display of love that the world has ever seen. You see Jesus as we saw in verses 15 through 17 is supreme over creation all of creation and here he is also supreme over the new creation the church he is the head he's the head of the global church the universal church and he's the head of every local church right so don't ever give up on the church Jesus is the one protecting her and sustaining her and nothing can ever change that don't minimize the church She is precious in the sight of God. And ultimately, the rulership of Jesus over his church, his preservation of her, his faithful, loving care for her, the authority that he has over her, is yet another reason why Jesus is supreme. He's supreme. Let's look at number eight. Jesus is supreme because he is resurrected. It says here, Jesus is the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, it says he is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the beginning, the predecessor of a people who are no longer dead in sin and trespass, no longer lost without hope. Because Jesus, having died on the cross, paying for our sins, he didn't stay dead, did he? No, praise God. He came out of that grave. He was resurrected. Death could not hold him. And he is the firstborn of the dead, the first to rise from the dead. And because he rose in glorious triumph over the grave, we have an awesome hope that lies before us. That first resurrection of Jesus secured our resurrection in the glory to come. That one day with glorious new bodies that will never get sick, that will never die, we will join him, seeing our Savior face to face. I was thinking about this and thinking what Jesus told Martha when her her brother Lazarus died, right? Those wonderful words filled with Hope and Gospel Truth in John eleven twenty five to 27. You'll see it on screen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus is the beginning of a people that... By virtue of their faith in him, even though their earthly bodies will die, and decay, they will live. Because their faith is in the one, the only one, who is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus' profound statement to Martha here is followed by a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, church? Do you find hope in this? Do you trust fully and completely in the one who swallowed up death in victory by being the firstborn, From the dead. This should fill us with supreme comfort. Comfort in the face of loss of loved ones. An eternal perspective because of the hope that we have that awaits us. A resurrection to eternal life that is made possible. It's secured by the resurrection of our Savior. And because of his resurrection, it says, He is preeminent. By definition, there, he is surpassing all others. He is the greatest, the noblest, the finest, the chief in everything, in everything, brothers and sisters. He is supreme and he is preeminent because there is no one like him. No one else rose from the dead, paying the penalty for our sins. No one else could triumph over death, and certainly no one else loved us to die on our behalf. He is supreme. Let's marvel together at this ninth reason why Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he is both God and man. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When God sent his Son to earth, he didn't leave his divine nature behind. Jesus, divine in nature, became a man and yet maintained his divinity. How can this be? It's, It's amazing to think about in our in our city groups as well you know several months back we covered the topic of the trinity right there's one god consisting of three persons each person is distinct each is fully god fully having the divine nature and jesus coming in coming to earth and taking on a human form it says in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and that's a marvelous statement jesus never stopped being fully god even while taking the form of a man Jesus wasn't part man, part God. Jesus didn't stop being God so that he could briefly be a good man as the world tends to think of him. He didn't switch back and forth between being God and being man while he was on earth. Now it says in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And yet Jesus, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, was in the form of God. But he didn't grasp hold of the rightful prerogatives that he held in glory. He set them aside. He submitted to the will of the Father, and he emptied himself, not of his deity, but of the prerogatives that come with being God. He accepted the limitations of human flesh, taking the form of a humble and lowly servant. And being fully God and fully man, he went to the cross, the king king of glory, the one through whom the universe was made, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, suffered, and died, bearing that penalty that was rightfully due for us. Jesus is supreme because he is fully God and fully man, and ultimately, he took on that human form so that he could be our redeemer. Finally, let's marvel together at the tenth and final reason why Jesus is supreme. So we just alluded to, Jesus is supreme because he is our redeemer. It says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Jesus, God has reconciled all things to himself. We have all things again. What things? All things. And what reconciliation was needed? Well, on one hand, you have a holy, righteous God. And on the other hand, sinful man, born in sin, slaves to sin, continually doing evil. And that relationship between God and man was obstructed, broken by sin, and estranged. Most of us have experienced broken relationships between ourselves and others. Maybe something that happened that disrupted the relationship or broke the communication. It severed that relationship. And in order to restore that relationship, reconciliation is needed. Our relationship with God needed that same restoration. We couldn't restore it. We couldn't come to God in our sin. So God reconciled us to himself. And not just us. It says he reconciled all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Looking back to verse 16, we saw that Jesus was the maker of all things, the reason for all things, and the one through whom all things were made and exist. And we know from Genesis that he made all things good. A perfect God created a complex, beautiful, and wonderful universe. But then the fall happened, and his creation was irreparably marred by sin. A perfect creation now corrupted by evil, damaged, and broken. And Christ's reconciliation of all things extends to this broken world. It also extends to all things in heaven, all things in the spiritual realm. What needs to be reconciled there? You have fallen angels who rebelled against God and live in enemy as enemies of God, right? Now we've got to be careful here because we don't want to think that reconciling all things to Himself, whether on earth, heaven or on earth, means that all mankind and all angels, evil and good, will be saved. Right? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right. It says that by grace we are saved through faith, and it is not of ourselves, not of our own doing, but of the gift of God. And so what is the reconciliation of all things? Well, first we need to ask, what is the purpose of reconciliation? It's that restoration, right? And we see in this last part what it says. It says, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the complete reconciliation of all things, bringing restoration, bringing peace to all things that are at enmity with God by the blood of Jesus. All of his angels, Satan and the, all of his enemies, Satan and the fallen angels defeated fully completely by the blood of the cross. All people who ret- repent and turn to Christ have salvation through his blood on the cross. All unrepentant people and the enemies of God will be served the just judgment for their sin and wickedness. And this peace was the peace of glorious victory over sin, death, and hell, and the enemies of God. All things are now subject to Christ because the victory was won on the cross. The final judgment and sentencing of the enemies of God is yet to come, right? But the peace has been Secured, All of creation, all things, are subjected now to the one whom God has highly exalted and given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the victor, that he has brought peace to a world broken by sin, inhabited by those in rebellion, and he has made peace. I hope you see the glorious triumph here, church. I hope you see that this is why Jesus is supreme. He came as a lowly servant, a man whose appearance was plain. But having no sin and being fully God, he achieved complete and total victory across heaven and earth, and no one can compare to him in this. No one else is Lord over all. No one else became a man while being the very image of God. No one else is the creator, the maker, the sustainer of all things. No one else is the head of the church. No one else was first in the resurrection and is thus preeminent in everything. He is supreme. And that's what this is about here. Jesus is supreme. Why should we ever fear? Why should we ever be discouraged? Why would we ever lose hope? You know, our lives are hidden in Christ, the one who is triumphant now and forever over all things. Listen to the uh, finality that Paul gives the same topic in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. It says, According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. That mighty work of God through Christ's death and resurrection was completed, completely victorious. And now it says he is seated at the right hand of the Father, far, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He is above every other name. All things are under his feet. His reign is complete, both in this age and in the age to come. Praise God for that. Jesus is supreme. Please stand. As we move towards a a time of communion and remembrance, uh, we're reminded of the, the reconciliation of all things here, the securing of our salvation, the victory over sin, and death, which was made possible by the blood of the cross. It says in the last line of verse 20 here that he made peace by the blood of his cross. This was the the worst death of all deaths at that time, death by crucifixion. It was the most gruesome, most torturous death the Romans had to offer. It was so terrible that it was reserved only for the worst criminals. Roman law, right, wouldn't even allow Roman citizens to be put death in this way. It was that horrible. And yet our Lord, the perfect man, fully divine, would die on a Roman cross. And there he would hang, naked, ridiculed, condemned, alongside criminals. And with his blood there, shed, dying in agony, our peace was secured. Our peace with God and a final peace was won against all who rebelled against him. That's what we remember when we take the bread and the cup, right? A beautiful remembrance meal for those who have trusted in Christ to remember the sacrifice which was made on our behalf. We couldn't have made peace with God ourselves, but praise God that Christ came and secured peace for all through the blood of his cross.